don't feel that you need to wor- overly worry about stuff like that. I'll f- sometimes too, and we'll just stop and keep going. Like I'll okay. say F. And then it get bleeped. <laughs> I was just going to say, am I allowed to swear? We swear if you a lot want to, work. yeah, you can swear. <laughs> we bleep it, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Good to know. I will try to keep it to a minimum, but I'm usually that person in the meeting who's a bit of a potty mouth. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. Thanks for joining us as always. Excited to have you here. And actually, you're not really joining us. I guess you're listening. Uh, But actually joining me today, (laughs) Sylvie. Hello. (laughs) I'll start over. That was a disaster. All right. Hello, and welcome to Talking to Live with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm excited that you are here with us, as always. Uh, Talking to Loud members, this is senseless. <laughs> what is happening I to don't... you? <laughs> I feel like we're on a game show. Hello, and welcome to Talking to Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage, and I'm joined, as always, by Sylvie LeBeau. Sylvie, you feeling better? <laughs> what prize have I won? Sylvie, you've won the prize of having COVID yet again after being double vaccinated and uh, being fully isolated from the world for 10 days, except for our time (laughs) together recording interviews with guests and hanging out. This is my social interaction for like the entire 10 days. This is it. Yeah. So so apologies, listeners. Apologies if things get a little weird in this intro. I'm feeling a little weird. It's getting weird. weird. It's weird. I mean, also, this is a bizarre time because Silent Adam is here with us, as he always is during the intros, and he is actively taking his blood pressure (laughs) using a home (laughs) blood pressure device. Um, (laughs) Things are crumbling. I don't know exactly what's happening. Um, I just know the vibe seems good today. I know it's weird. It's a weird vibe, but it's a good one. A weird good vibe. Yes. Somebody has their finger on the pulse today, and it's not Adam Day. (laughs) So I think you're talking about our guest, Katie Parks. And Katie is the head of video marketing at Shopify. She's been there for about five years, been behind a lot of the really exciting video projects that they've done. She's run their social media team. And what a fun interview and really relevant interview, I think, to anybody who's thinking about going deep on video marketing, getting the leaders at your company to sign on to bold campaigns. Like, it was a really fun one to do. It was amazing. Very excited for listeners to hear it. But before that, Savage, what's got you talking too loud? Oh, what's got me talking too loud? That's a great question. Um, I know we've joked about this in the podcast, but trying to understand the NFT space and projects there. And like, there's some really interesting stuff happening There's games that are starting to crop up where they're being built backwards. Like there's this game called Wolf Game. And if you want to check it out, it's wolf.game, I think is the web address. Uh, Wolf Game? Yeah. Not to be confused with Wolfgang. Not to be, no, not, no Wolfgang puck. No, 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 none of that. No airport, you know, high quality food. We're talking about like an (laughs) NFT game. It's kind of like Farmville, but like you get the sheep first and there's wolves that are taking the wool that the sheep make in a barn and like the game doesn't actually really exist yet but people are buying the elements of the game up front so you know normally like you'd sign up and earn a thing and then instead you start by buying the thing and then you play the game this sounds like the three little pigs the sequel 
That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, it's worth looking at and go to OpenSea.io is like a place where you can see where all the NFTs are and the prices and stuff. But people are spending a lot of money on this. Like these sheep are going for sale for like five grand, one sheep. Uh, like a wolf is like 40 grand <laughs> or something. Grand yeah, life. it's insane. The whole thing is, is absolute... <sighs> Anarchy. I can't. Uh, but I think it's like there's a lot of learning going on. Um, so I've been just like, I've been enjoying. You're a learner. I'm a learner. A learner. I'm a learner. Lifelong learner. Yeah. And actually, the way I've been doing that is by aggressively following people on Twitter. And I hadn't really done that in a while for like new topics. Um, but I just made a list that's like my NFT list that anyone can go check out. And if you look at this, it's a barrage of insanity. Uh, but you can get a sense of the type of stuff that's happening. I can't tell if at the end of this, like, I'm going to have the last laugh regarding NFTs or if you are. So um, I think we know the answer jury's to that. out. Yeah, I don't, jury's I don't out. think that's out. Yeah. I know you don't think the jury's <laughs> out, but I think the jury's out. <laughs> but like 40K for a wolf that doesn't actually exist, like a wolf concept? Yeah. Absolutely not. I guess it just depends who is on the side of artists. Because oh no, uh, don't you do that? Oh, don't you stop me? Don't you? Oh no, because the truth is, all these artists, you know, you're trying to figure out how do you make? Are you going to make money with ads on the site of your portfolio? Are you going to make enough money selling the prints that people put on the wall? But people actually want digital ownership as evidenced by the demand for NFT. So these artists are turning around and actually making money. Um, okay, that I that I like. Oh, that I'm for. Okay, then I'm who has for... the last laugh? You you want the last laugh? You want to screw over the artist? You want the artist to win? I want the artist to win. You are diabolical. Wario is back. He's I'm back not diabolical. I think this is. I'm just an advocate <laughs> for creatives. I'm sorry. That's who I am. No, I I. Okay, I like <laughs> I. <laughs> I like that. I like that artists are making the money that they deserve that they haven't made. Well, before. actually, here's here's the thing we haven't talked about that I think is like worth knowing is like so. Let's say you have a collection of NFTs that you make and you sell them to somebody, and then it turns out there's more demand than you thought. Like you sell them for a thousand dollars, and someone else turns around and sells it for twenty thousand. Normal world, you make a canvas that you sell for a thousand dollars. Someone else sells it for twenty thousand. You don't get anything, but in NFT land, in the smart contract. There's usually a royalty part where it's like the artist gets like 5% every time it's sold. So if it's sold for 20,000, eventually sold for 100,000, you know, right, now they get, a cut. they get a cut every single time. And if it is yeah. something that ends up being really valuable, the artist continually benefits over time. And so it's just a completely different model than has existed before. And you have to believe that people want digital ownership um, in the first place to kind of like want this to happen. I think that's the part. I'm like, Ew, Well, so, and no. I think the one thing I would say on that is like, um, why does anyone buy a nice car? Why does anyone buy a Gucci bag? Why does anyone buy like Ray-Bans or Warby Parkers or whatever? Like we buy stuff because we like it and also because it gives us status. There's no way of verifying online status except for something like NFTs. Like you can make up anything, you can put any filter on your Instagram trip, um, we know people do this, obviously, left and right. But the thing with NFTs, if you click on it, you can go back and see what it is and what the value is. And so I think it's a, a way of bringing status from the real world to the digital world. And I think that is actually what motivates a lot of us to do all the things that we do. So will it end up being this wolf game thing and like 
you know, what I don't know what it'll end up being. I really don't. But I, I do think the fundamental tech will end up enabling that. And I think that'll be big. Look, if I ever reach wolf status, you're going to be the first to know. Okay, okay good. All right. Well, we're going to be together. the first to know. You know who would love to talk about NFTs, but we didn't get into it? Katie Parks. Katie Parks. I feel like she's on my side. You think so? I just have you can't a feeling just say that. This. You don't know that. I know. <laughs> I, maybe we have to have her back one day. Yeah. Uh, but until that day. Yeah. Let's start here. Here we with go. With this interview. Well, Katie, thank you for being on the show. We're so excited that you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Awesome. As you know, Talking Too Loud is a show where we dig into topics and ideas that get me talking too loud, that get our guests talking too loud. And from a very early age, I've been told I'm quite (laughs) loud. But I like to think I'm just actually excited. So we like to start by kind of hearing what's going on in your world and what has you talking too loud? Yeah, I love this question and just love the title of this podcast in general. Um, I think for me right now, I am kind of switching gears. So the last year or so I've spent at Shopify, I was heading up the global social media team. Um, and so social was really my focus, even though my background is really in filmmaking and video. And that's my you know sweet spot, bread and butter. And now I'm taking on a new team um, and going back to the land of video, which I'm very excited about. It's not that I don't enjoy social. It's just a very different beast. Um, And so I was very hungry to get back into kind of the real video marketing world. And so right now I feel like I am talking really loudly, especially internally at Shopify about the value of video marketing and not just you know, using video as top funnel content, um, or, you know, when you think it's a great idea to do something snazzy, but to actually use video as a, you know, growth marketing play and to, you know, connect it directly to sales and and really try to look at it from a much more strategic perspective and long-term value perspective. And so, yeah, I've been very hungry to like dive back into this space and I've been talking my ear off um, to everyone else about, you know, our new YouTube strategy for Shopify Plus um, and, you know, all the things that we want to accomplish with video in 2022. Awesome. You're not going to be surprised uh, given who I am and what I do. That makes me happy. But um, (laughs) kind of touched on a few different things there, but like using video in sales, using video to build a brand, using video to like serve a social network like YouTube. And you've also been in video for a long time. Um, have you seen that conversation change as well? Like do people, mm. when you're talking with your peers and you're in the meetings and you're going wild, like are people now like, yep, duh, I get it. Or like, tell us what that experience has been like. Cause I think it's hard if you haven't been making a lot of video to understand how much the space is changing, but mm. it clearly is. And I always wonder about like the people who are not paying as close attention. Like, do they see the change too or no? Yeah. Uh, I think I'm really lucky in that I work with a lot of really smart people who keep their, you know, finger on the pulse and and the changes of what is going on with, you know, digital marketing and especially B2B marketing. And so I feel like they've been coming along for the ride with me. Um, There's definitely been some, you know, uh, explanation to do on my front, but like I consider that part of my job, right? Like if you are, you know, the head of video marketing, you should know your discipline and, and it's my responsibility to speak to what that opportunity is for the business. And so there has been, like I said, some, you know, good but challenging conversations about like what the investment into this discipline really looks like. 
And last year I had to build out, you know, a growth plan for like why we would hire someone specifically to focus on YouTube, what that opportunity actually looked like, and why we would even create a new team to focus on video marketing altogether. And a big piece of that was in looking at some of the past work that I'd done in my previous roles um, and really acknowledging, you know, some of the real revenue that has come in from videos that live on certain landing pages or videos that are really SEO driven, videos that we've done for sales specific campaigns, like you mentioned. But then on top of that, looking at the kind of external social channel point of view with YouTube and saying like, this is the second largest search engine in the world right now. And, you know, it's poised to overtake Google probably in the next couple of years. All of the advancements that YouTube has been making also with like the chapters um, and videos and how you can, you know, search for something and you land in the middle of a video now, stuff like that just presents such a massive opportunity that we haven't really tapped into strategically uh, on the business side uh, for Shopify, really across all of our different plans and audiences. And so, yeah, I think just really getting better myself at telling that story and really presenting that value um, has been the biggest thing right now. And you also have worked on an independent film, came across Dark Sense. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Which is your paranormal thriller from 2019. Am I getting this right? Yes, I AD'd on that feature length uh, film as an independent feature um, out of Scotland, actually. So I uh, took off to Europe for a few months, had a family friend that was uh, spearheading the project. It's actually based on a a novel. So it was a really popular novel, actually, that took off on Amazon. And um, he was able to do a crowdfunding campaign and people were all about it. Um, And so, yeah, hopped on the bandwagon and went and had some narrative driven fun for like half a year, which was awesome. That's fun. And how do you think about like the creative differences and also similarities between working on like an independent film, feature length film, and then what you're talking about now, which is like helping a company and a brand, you know, build and create content? Oh, that's such a good question. I think where I noticed a lot of the similarities lie is really just around production logistics, obviously, like whether you're making a 30 second video or a 10 minute video for YouTube or 30 minute short film or one hour or whatever feature, you still have to start from the same place and end in the same place. And the time to get every piece done just probably gets shorter as the video gets shorter. But you still need to think through all of the same pieces of the puzzle. And so it was really fascinating to me to go work on a feature film and go like, oh, I actually know more than I thought I did about like how to do this because it's not that different than, you know, planning a shoot that I had been, you know, doing for Shopify um, or, you know, working on a short film. There was quite a lot of similarities in that regard. I think where it gets a little different and where I was really lost was like once we finished the film and then it was like, what do we do with this? Like the distribution (laughs) is very different. So it wasn't as easy as just being like, oh, we'll put it on YouTube or, you know, create a social media campaign and work with sales and all these other stakeholders. Like that part to me was was really challenging, but also really fascinating. And, and, you know, I wasn't directly a part of a lot of those conversations. The director and, and the producer were more heavily involved, but they did manage to sell the film to Amazon and to another UK distributor. And so it was just really exciting to see like how they, you know, went about that and the possibilities and it being so that being just a completely different world then from what we do in marketing. But yeah, all of the narrative stuff too, I find there are a lot of similarities in that as well. Like the way that you would set up a shot, the things that you care about when you're looking, you know, to create something of value and meaning that has heart and authenticity um, or whatever emotion you're trying to capture in that scene. I find all of that was very similar too to doing marketing work, right? Like, sure, it might be a little bit different if you're just interviewing someone versus you're, you know, building really big tension in some 
important narrative-driven scene, but the principles were all the same. Um, and so, yeah, it was a very interesting process to see. Uh, there was a lot more in common than I ever thought there would be. That's cool. I mean, it's also what it makes me think about is something we've talked a lot about at Wistia of like marketing like a media company mm. and that like as production has changed and become more accessible, that video gets used not just in like direct response or you know, on organic pages or landing, all that stuff is amazing, but also it starts going towards building brand. And when you get into that world, you end up making more entertaining content or more educational content. And it looks more, it's almost like confusing. Like, do you ever watch um, Hot Ones? Uh, yeah. You know, the show yeah. where like- With the wings. The wings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, that's put on by First We Feast, which I think is a sub-brand of Complex, but mm. they now make hot sauces and other stuff. So it's like, they start with a media brand that now makes products. And then at Shopify or Wissy or any direct-to-consumer business or SaaS business, like we have a product and we're trying to figure out how to make media. Yes. And it's cool that you've also like jumped back in and saw, all right, this is like what the feature narrative world looks like. And actually a lot of this is similar, but the distribution is still pretty different. You gotta you gotta knock on the door of the right person, right? At Amazon or Netflix or whatever to get them to like sign on and, and take a thing on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's even fascinating to see now some of those distributors like Amazon, et cetera, now trying to go like e-commerce route and create, you know, get into the marketing side and build stores and commercial opportunities around what they're doing. And so really both things go hand in hand. I think no matter what you're doing, um, it really just depends on what's getting like kind of the hero spot or treatment. And then that really changes the end game. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about competition and Mm building a brand. And Shopify is obviously doing amazing. I'm constantly getting alerts of things I bought on Shopify all day. <laughs> I love uh, that. <laughs> but like, also, you have a competitor, Amazon, who's extremely well-known. Um, we just mentioned them a bunch. And I think a lot of people could be really afraid of the opportunity that Shopify is going after. Like, mm. extremely well-known competitor, one of the most valuable companies in the world outrageous like infrastructure and logistics machine. But Shopify has actually been able to build a strong brand in the midst of this and a brand where a lot of what you're doing is get out of the way for your customer, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the behind the scenes stuff. It's only when you're paying attention or using ShopPay or you have the Shop app that you really can understand like just how many of the stores that you're going to and purchasing from are powered by Shopify. Can you talk about what it's been like to build a brand with having such a well-known competitor right next door? Yeah, yeah. I think for us, I mean, and this is for any brand strategy, right? Like you have to understand your point of differentiation. And for Shopify, especially in the last couple of years, we've just like doubled down on the fact that we are, you know, the entrepreneurship company first and foremost, and that that's who we support. That's who we champion. Um, And what that really means is that, you know, our love for independent businesses just runs so, so deep and that we're able to support them in a way that a company like Amazon just can't. We're able to give them real real estate and a space that they can actually own. And they don't just get lost in a marketplace amongst a sea of other brands. And, you know, if they build with us and they build their own opportunity, that they can not only like carve out that little space of the internet or the real world for themselves, um, but to also like build a real community 
of followers themselves and and build other people that really love that brand. And I don't think that Amazon provides a space to do that. Like I said, you just get kind of lost in a marketplace. Um, not to mention that Amazon will like go and steal your products and then make them their yeah, own and sell them for cheaper. <laughs> like the amount of merchants on Shopify that that's happened to or been happening to is like really crazy and quite sad. But some of them have responded in amazing ways. Actually, we um, had this guy from Peak Design at our event, Commerce Plus, a couple of months ago. And you should check out their video that they did um, about the Amazon trying to rip off their camera bag product. It was hilarious. Like they just acknowledged it also right up front and you know, that ended up helping them build their brand even further and made their current customers and even future customers love them that much more because they were basically being like a big you, you know, in a hero brand video um, to this massive company that's like very contentious. Like, sure, they have a great logistic system and you can order something and it gets there in a couple of days. But like, is that really worth it long term? I think that consumers are looking for more than that. They're looking for brands who care about them, that they truly care about, that stand for something, that are sustainable, that um, just represent more good in the world. And part of that is, you know, yeah, just supporting independent businesses. And so we've really just we've taken that message and I think really just tried to own it as much as possible. And when you're building that message and that positioning against Amazon, and it's about independence. It's about entrepreneurship. It's about giving more control to the customer. There's obviously a lot of stuff that's going to be happening in, in building products and services. Talk about what that means specifically for you. Like, How does that translate through to coming up with ideas? And what mm -hmm. kind of content do you make? Because I think, again, you all are executing so well against this. Like, It's obvious to me that that is happening. But I think this is also sometimes where people get tripped up is like, they have a product and they feel like it is different, but they can't figure out how to actually get that story across in a believable way. And yet Shopify does consistently. So what does that look like for you? Like, I know the mini doc building weekend nations an example, I think, but like, what does that process look like when it's working well? Yeah, that's a really good challenging question. I think for us, it's a couple different things. Um, you know, when I was doing and focusing on social media, we did it in one way where it was like very you know, looking at Mimi and like kind of cheeky responses and how we could show up in a certain conversation and potentially go a bit viral because we decided to say something that was really bold. Um, I think for video and content marketing, it's really about two things. I think the first is like doubling down on the product side. Like you mentioned, there's all this stuff and innovation that's happening at Shopify and actual tools that our merchants are going to need in order to not just like run their business, but truly gain that independence. So they, they need to know how to connect a 3PL to their e-commerce site. They need to know, you know, how to increase their site speed so that they can get better conversions and more customers and make more money. Um, because at the end of the day, any of these merchants, they only really care about three things. They want to save time. They want to, you know, make more money and they want to save more money. <laughs> so it's like, how do we take our product and the value that that offers and weave them into kind of those three value-driven buckets? But like you mentioned, then there's the storytelling side of really showcasing the fact that there are so many people who've built their entire livelihoods through the tools that Shopify offers. And that's, you know, speaking to, like you said, the Weekend Nation series and, you know, podcasts that we run, like in conversation with Shopify Plus, where we interview, you know, really well-known brands and, and leaders of those brands to tell their stories and the challenges that they've faced in building their businesses, um, but also the things that really excite them and you know how they've carved out that space of independence for themselves. And so 
for us, it's really twofold. It's like, the, how do we really set these people up for success and help them make better business decisions? But then what else do we need to do in order to like really build an engaged audience and inspire the hell out of people? And can you double click on the bold campaigns? <laughs> because I think that when you say that, I'm sure what most people would imagine, what I was thinking about is like, there's a lot of B2C brands that like during the Super Bowl are like trying to come up with like the craziest thing that they can say while the Super Bowl is happening. And then like, mm. you know, Oreos like crushes it. It's like, this is the tweet of the year. This is the ad of the year. But it's actually just like the simple, bold statement that someone made at the right moment. Mm. And I think a lot of people ask the question like, oh, I'm having trouble building my audience. Or I don't know what to do. And it's often like they're actually unable to take the risks that mm. are needed to grow. But it seems like managing that team, you were doing that a lot. Like, how do you know when a bold idea is a good one? Hmm. Uh, it always will feel a mixture of incredibly uncomfortable and scary, but hilarious. <laughs> 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 um, and m probably more scary than hilarious. Uh, and then you just have to like go back to that kind of like gut instinct where you're like, this could really like this could be a thing. Especially, like, I mean, I'm speaking mostly to social, like I'm thinking about some really cheeky kind of things that we did last year where on Instagram during, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, we talked about like what it means to be an Amazon basic and like as a person, <laughs> which is like pretty provocative. That's funny. And then, yeah, there was one tweet from Shopify Plus last year where we got like pretty hardcore um, on what our- was it? Our competitor Magento, uh, we, we saw a tweet from them where they were talking about like fixing security patches and it just had all these hashtags and stuff in it. And we quote retweeted it with this little meme of a kid like who's a Boy Scout um, and he had like all of his Boy Scout badges on and we just put like there's Magento and all their patches like in a quote retweet. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> yeah, uh, but that it was like our highest performing tweet of the year. And so we were like, I think people liked this, you know, so but I remember like going through, you know, trying to make some of those decisions. And it's, I think it's, I mean, yeah, when you get to that level, you need to also make sure you're involving like executives and PR and like doing all the checks to be like, this isn't too bold, right? Like this isn't going to come to bite us in the ass. I'm surprised at you, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? We got our balls in people like we do. <laughs> well, like with that Magento one. Someone came up with that and said, we need to run this by folks before it goes out the door. Is that what happened? Yeah. Some of our leadership team actually saw the tweet initially. And actually, so did my social media manager at the time. And we were all just kind of like internally giggling about it. Because um, I think even as a competitive differentiator, we have invested a lot more in brand and community building than that competitor yeah. in particular. And so that was brought to our attention. And, and we were just like, what can we do with this? And so, yeah, got on a, a Slack chat, a quick huddle and like talked about know ways that we could respond um came up with that idea ran it by our executive team and, and leadership and they were like this is great like go for it so uh sometimes it's easier than you think I, I i like to believe that but it really depends on whether or not you have that backing and you have that support like i think we're really lucky at shopify that we're just surrounded by leadership that you know gets it and 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 wants to see us do bold things um and if you're not being like pushed to do that, then uh, it can be a, a lot more of a scary place to wade through. And just for context for people listening, and also for myself, but for people listening, like how many people worked at Shopify when you were getting that approval and thinking through that process? Uh, I think at the time, probably like 8,000, 
almost 10,000. Okay. I think we're at like 12,000 yeah. people now. I'm not, I yeah. can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. So a lot. And the reason I mentioned that is I think a lot of people don't know how to do that past the startup stage. Yes. And that there actually can be a process and that actually even in an 8,000 person organization, you know, there can be a quick slack with the right people and be like, oh, is everyone cool with this? Yep. You're good. And suddenly a brand goes from such a fragile idea. It would be so easy to not do that. Yes. And to your point, it ended up being like the best performing one of the year. And it makes sense because it's bold and interesting and funny and like confident and a lot of different things. But I just think for anyone listening who's like struggling and thinking like, how can I be more bold or how can I take risks? Like it can be as simple as Katie is saying, which is just like, go get the three or four people that need to see it and be like, are you cool with this? And like, that's enough. But that's possible even in an 8,000 person organization is like amazing. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like such a good moment for people to pay attention to. Yeah, I appreciate that. And like, I, I take that to heart because I think that's really something that is core to how Shopify operates. We've never, or we try really hard to not lose that kind of startup mentality, even though we are a massive organization now all over the world. And, and, you know, giving employees that kind of autonomy to decide what those opportunities are also and come up with some really great ideas. I think the thing I've learned, too, in this process is, you know, it's, it might sound funny that we've come up with these concepts, but at the end of the day, they are very strategic. Like if you unpack both of them, like with the Amazon example, like what that's really doing for us is reinforcing who our brand is and what our brand values are. Right. It's not just like, oh, we're going to be mean and, and cheeky for the sake of being like, you know, provocative, it still ultimately has benefits to the story yeah. that we're trying to tell. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and same with the Magento one, like that was actually like a product narrative for us to be able to poke fun of something that our customers don't even have to worry about because we just do security patches automatically. Like it's not even something that our merchants have to think about. They don't need developers to focus on that. And so for us, it was like actually a massive like sales play um, at the end of the day to be that bold. Um, it would be something that, you know, our sales reps might actually say on the phone to somebody. And it's like, why not take that into the external channel universe and use that to our advantage? And so it does require some thought. So don't just like do it for the sake of doing it. Um, but when it works, it really works. And you've been at Shopify for five years. Is that right? Yes, almost five years. I think it'll be yeah, four. It's like four and a half now. So five next year. Yep. And what was your role when you started? Uh, I was a producer. So I started actually on the enterprise, like the Shopify Plus uh, side of the business as a video producer. And I was the sole video person um, for the whole org doing everything from, you know, webinars to merchant stories to, you know, case study videos and product commercials. Um, so yeah, got to do a little bit of everything. That's awesome. And you went from that and you took over the social media team. And now you're running the video marketing strategy for the business. The company's grown a lot, and you're still able to take these risks, which is so amazing. What advice do you have for somebody who is starting and trying to figure out how do you get onto a career path like the one you've been on? Hmm. I think for me, it was really about just doubling down on everything that I was passionate about because I'm a huge believer that, like, if you are passionate about something, like, that's the thing that nobody can take away from you. Like, it doesn't matter what your job title is, it doesn't matter, like, you know, find something that you just love to friggin' do <laughs> and it will make your job a lot easier. Um, and I think for me, I got really lucky that I was able to, you know, bridge that gap between narrative filmmaking and, you know, uh, doing video at a tech company. They're definitely not the same, but like we talked about, there's a lot of similarities. And so 
I think another piece of advice I would offer is like, look at what those transferable skills that you have are um, and where else can you place them? Because if you can't become a full-time filmmaker and that's going to be too hard for you because you like, for me, I also like needed a sense of security. You know, I had student debt to pay off. I couldn't just like decide to be an artist. I mean, I could have, but it would have made a, a for a much, uh, probably harder life. Um, and I wanted, you know, some a little bit uh, cozier treatment and to, you know, get some other things in my life as well. So yeah, for me, that meant trying to look at those transferable skills and see like where I can offer that value in a very different way that still allows me to be creative um, and take those risks, think about things from, you know, different perspectives and still stay true to my love of just like creating great content. And if you could just like walk away today and make feature films, like, is that what you would do? Or yes. what, how do you think about it now? Yes, I, I would love to do that full time. Oh, my God. Like when I got to just spend that time, uh, especially working on the feature film in Scotland. And because that was actually the very first time in my life where I was just working on a movie. Mm. Prior to that, when I was producing and directing short films, um, it was always like outside or on top of my regular full time job, which was still always in like content creation, social media, video marketing, you know, what have you. But having just dedicated time to like live fully in imagination land and be like, this is the thing I'm just doing with my time on a nine to five or like, you know, you work late also on set. So like all day, every day basis was just so, so magical. And it's something that I'm like really craving to find a way back to at some point. And I, I don't know when that will be. Like, maybe it won't be until I retire. Who knows? But like, it really is a special feeling. Um, and I want to keep chasing that if I can. Well, I mean, it's amazing that you have been able to find something that you're passionate about that clearly translates over. It's not like you would like, suddenly leave this job at Shopify and be like, oh, F, like I'm back at square one. Like you obviously love making films. Um, you love being bold and taking these creative risks. Like what do you think is the next thing coming? Like where's video marketing going and what are you excited about there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have been talking about that a little bit um, as a team over the last couple of weeks, just in planning out our you know 2020 roadmap. Um, I think it's actually more simple than people think. Well, this is my first opinion. So I guess for us as a company, because we've never really invested in channels like YouTube or really truly invested in even just video marketing as a team, like I have a whole team now that's dedicated to this. Mm -hmm. For me, I feel like we're on the cusp of like actually doing something really incredible with video and for the first time in a very like cohesive and coordinated way. And just getting to that stage, I think is like a, a future that so many brands haven't even explored yet. I think a lot of people just assume that like, yeah, videos everywhere, but most of the time it's like one person at a company who's, you know, doing it off the side of their desk even, or that it's not an expertise that exists within a company. And so I think that is probably the next first phase. But some of the other like exciting content opportunities that we're exploring are really around live programming, especially, um, you know, our merchants are taking advantage of this right now with things like live shopping. And so we're looking at like, how do we integrate that kind of model into our content strategy. Um, and I know you guys have been testing uh, this as well with like launching, you know, big brand content series and, and you know, mm -hmm. having a space for people to watch it in real time, but then also putting it on like LinkedIn Live, etc. And so I think that kind of experimentation is going to be really key. And yeah, it's something I'm really excited to explore. Cool. Yeah, it's a I mean, we did that with Gear Squad yeah. for the launch. We've been raving even just about how you guys distributed the the content, 
you know, I got my box in the mail with pajamas and, and candy. And like, <laughs> I went back to my team and I was like, we should have done this for Weekend Nation. Like, what were we thinking? Like, there's so many missed opportunities. Like, so yeah, kudos and hats off to you guys. It was really Thank well done. you. Yeah. It was also just like, I have to say in a world, you know, we have so many analytics on how people are watching stuff and mm-hmm. what does the engagement graph look like? And what does the heat map look like and all this stuff? But the power of doing that live and watching people comment mm-hmm. was something else. Um, and just like the energy was so real in a way that I didn't expect for a live event. But we have these like outrageous ads we made as an example that are like all throwback. They're like, you know, based on like blow pop ads and it's ridiculous. Um, and watching the like comments and reactions in real time to that, you could just tell it actually worked, which then is super motivating as the kind of like pillar of a campaign of mm-hmm. starting with that. It lets everyone feel confident by pushing it. Right. You know, back to the distribution engine that we control. And I think is also to your point, really simple. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's just let people watch the stuff and do it with us. Yep. And that's going to help propel everything else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think what I love so much about the example is it even helped me make, you know, certain cases internally for why video series or particular videos shouldn't also just live behind one channel. Like you don't have to build something and just say, okay, it's going to live at this spot forever. And then just assume that that's where your customers are always going to find it or then create ads that only go to that one place. I'm like, yeah, we can have it gated behind a landing page to try to generate leads, but we can also put it public on YouTube. We can also put it in the content library in the blog. Like there are so many spots that this should live. And in fact, you should be doing that so that you can create as much visibility and opportunity for people to watch that as possible. Um, yeah. and I just, I think that's, that's what I mean when I'm like, oh, we're on the cusp of like this kind of change and like yes. doing things differently for the first time, because that's something that, yeah, we haven't really been great at in the past that I'm really pumped to like just explore. Cause like you said, then you learn so much more about your audience. Also, you can make better yeah. business decisions and better decisions about what content you invest in, what channels you invest in. Cause you've just put it in different places. Yeah. And I feel like it's basically the content is a product. Yes. Yeah. And so then when you think about it, it's like, well, we're not going to just do outbound sales. We're going to do inbound and we're also going to do referrals and maybe affiliates and we're going to do partnerships in each channel. You're going to learn like, is this channel working? Do people like it? Do they not Mm -hmm. like it? Can I change it? And you tweak and like you adjust across all the other channels. And I like to think about it as like the theatrical release cycle Hmm. of, okay, you have the trailer and the trailer comes out and like they try to push people to go in theaters COVID stopped that a little bit, but it's like coming back and like theaters first and then it's online, but it's more expensive. But if you're on an airplane, it's free. And then like the same piece of content lives on in many different ways. Right. And if you have a quality product, it's very easy to do that, Hmm. but it's a different way of thinking, right? Um, Mm -hmm. From just like a few years ago, I don't think it was within the realm of possibility for most of us to make content that was this high quality Hmm. ourselves. Yeah, that's such a good point. The democratization of those tools has like, yeah, really just changed the game um, and allowed so many more people to invest in this type of content to begin with, let alone then distribute it in so many new ways. And it really like the distribution opportunities are, I think your movie theater example was perfect because it's like people crave different types of experiences, right? And you don't know, like no one is that much of a genius and fortune teller that they can know exactly what their audience wants. Um, and you might have a few members of your audience who 
all want kind of a similar experience, but then want it in like these little bit of a different ways. And so when you, when you open those avenues up, it just creates a lot more customization um, and a lot more, yeah, just general opportunity for people to consume yeah, the things audience the way is they in want control. To. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's a yeah. perfect way to put it. Yeah. And actually even go back to the theater example. I love the fact during COVID that you could go to a movie theater or watch the thing at home at the same time. Yep. Because I want the choice. And like most of I'm not going to the theater most of the time, but I actually will watch it the first night and I'll yeah. like pay to watch it. And I've been getting annoyed as they're like, there's some movie, um, The Last Duel. Do you know about this movie? No, I don't think so. It's no. a Matt Damon thing. Ridley Scott yeah. directed it. Oh, and okay. Yes. Yeah, I think I've seen it. They released poster, it yeah. starting just to theaters and had a horrible release. And mm-hmm. there were complaints. Oh, all these millennials and these zoomers like they don't want to go to theaters anymore blah blah blah. it's like what are you talking about there's a friggin pandemic that just happened there's new variants all the time what the hell like and now i think they're putting it on the streaming services and you can tell it's like going towards the top of the charts yeah and it's like interesting oh well what happened here is like audience expectations changed and the audience is in control and they're telling you we want to watch it at home but we'll pay more to do it and it's just like it's hard to fight that right like it's 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 just a hard thing so giving those options is really important I realize yeah. we're going very deep on this because I, <laughs> I think about this a lot and nerd out on it, but no, I want to just close by asking you, you know, the level that Shopify is at and where you are at is you've got this team, you're doing advanced stuff, but for somebody who's starting and someone who hasn't done any video marketing yet, they're not on the train, what advice would you give them to get started? Hmm. Oh, this reminded me of the early days when I was at Shopify, because really, we were still a very small company at that point in time. And I was one person. And I think, I think the advice I would give is just, you have to ruthlessly prioritize, you're going to get requests from everyone who want to do video, and you're going to have a ton of ideas, and you're going to want to do them all. But you need to be able to make the best investments for the business at the time. And I think I tend to use this prioritization model a little bit with my team where it's like, What's the scale of impact versus like the actual output that's needed in order to get this done or like the potential scale of impact? Like you don't always know if something's going to work. And so, you know, looking for opportunities to have high impact, but low effort are like always like, let's do that first. And so if you can do that, especially early on in your career, I think that will also help you grow, not just as a marketer, but also as a leader, if that's the direction that you want to take your, your career, because now that I am a leader, like that is my job. (laughs) Like it's my job to just create the space and, you know, boundaries and guardrails for the team to make those decisions really well um, and quickly. And it's not always easy, but I think when you're starting out, it's just really important to focus on like the things that are, yeah, going to have the highest impact, but are going to take you the least amount of effort. So that might be totally different types of video. Like if you can go shoot and edit something yourself and you're close to, a customer that you want to go film with, like, go do that. Like, you can do it on a bigger scale if you have budget and resources. But if you, yeah, can get it done, you know, on your own time and quickly, and it's going to have a big impact, then do it. But it could also mean, like, doing a self-recorded, you know, sales demo video that's actually going to have a huge impact for the sales team. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, it could be all kinds of different things. But that framework is really helpful for me. Love that. Katie, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find you to follow you and learn more? Yes, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I am not super active, but I'm mostly a lurker and I do like to engage in conversation. So feel free to tag me and chat. It's at Katie Jane Brain on Twitter. J Brain? 
Jane Brain, yeah. Jane Brain, got it. (laughs) All right, thanks, Katie. Have a great day. Awesome, thanks so much. You know what's so cool about chatting with Katie is she has been in this rare spot of like, you know, part of a massive company growing very, very quickly that's actually continuing to do bold things. And it's so easy not to do bold things, even when you're small. Like, it's so easy to not take um, creative risk. Like, it's the default. And I just love that example that she gave of like the snarky tweets and the competitive tweets and how to make that happen. Because it's it's so simple. And yet, I think it's so easy not for that stuff to happen. Yeah. I think what was really interesting about that conversation beyond the snark, you know, I'm a fan of snark and sass all day long. But she even said it's not just for the sake of being snarky. Like it was reinforcing their own brand identity. And I thought that was really powerful mm-hmm. um, and playful. And like those two things can go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive. Those are synonyms. Are you with me? Yeah, I like that. I like that. Good job. <laughs> it was also just cool to hear about like finding creative fulfillment and work and like the distribution challenges with the other model. And like, I think it also aligns with, you know, we've talked about this before, this like fusing of like media companies making products and product companies making media. And I still think we're at the very beginning of that. And, you know, we have many years in front of us for folks on both sides to try to figure this out. Uh, but I think it's gonna be really important for people to do it. And we started this episode talking a little bit about creatives. Um, but like, how do you get the right creatives on your team and put them into position to take risk and create awesome things? And like, actually, you can do that. And if you do that, it can be fulfilling for someone like Katie, and it can be unbelievably impactful for your business. So it's it's just so cool that she like brought us into that world a little bit, because it's not something that everybody is doing yet. Yeah. And her trajectory at Shopify was super interesting to go from like producer to kind of like doing it all to now running this team. Anybody who's thinking about sort of their own career path within a company, I think her story is super inspiring. Yeah, love it. So listeners, so listeners, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) We did it. We made it to the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. As always, we want your feedback and ideas. Send them to ttlpod at wistia.com. Please subscribe wherever you are listening, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or do people use other things anymore? Look, uh, wherever you listen, please subscribe. If you like the show, Um, please rate and review it. It helps other people discover the show. Um, as always, if you want more content from Wistia, check out Wistia Studios. We have a lot of exciting new stuff always coming out and we hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you next time. Overcast. Is that a thing? Isn't that for weather? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think so. uh, (laughs) um, You're the podcast expert. I thought good job, Sylvie. (laughs) I don't know. Overcast. All right. um, Wait, just go. (laughs) It was a weird transition anyway to, to listeners. So I, I said her story's really inspiring. So you say her story's that really stays. Fine. What? No, I, then I was reading Adam's comment. This whole thing stays. Yeah. You're trying not to be embarrassed. I understand. I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up on this Zoom. I'm stopping the recording right <laughs> now. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. 
hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day, executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.